Hi, this is Aaron Newcomb filling in for Randall Schwartz on this week's Floss Weekly. Randy Harper is joining me to talk about BuildBot, software that automatically configures and tests your software packages for you. That's coming up next on Floss Weekly. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Aaron Newcomb and Randy Harper, episode 164, recorded on May 4th, 2011, BuildBot. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Floss Weekly. I am not Randall Schwartz, as you can tell, um, and I am not in some tall building in L.A. or Portland or wherever he always dials in from. Um, I am actually here in the Twit Cottage. I'm sitting in for Randall this week um, as he is busy traveling around the world. He is a globe trotter, I believe the uh, the correct description is. So anyway, he's busy traveling around the world and uh, could not be here, but he asked me to sit in, and I'm always glad to do so. And joining me is Randy Harper. Randy, how are you? Pretty good. How's it going, Aaron? Very good. And you're up in Seattle, correct? Yeah, actually, I just got back from Linux Fest Northwest where I saw Randall, so he's still wandering around somewhere. Oh, how was that show? How was the show this year? It was much bigger than I expected. I'd never been there before, but FreeBSD had a booth there, so I went up and hung out there for a while, and I was amazed at how crowded it was. It seems like they're going to need a bigger space soon. Wow. There's a lot of, uh, so it was bigger than previous years. I know I felt that way when I went to scale not too long ago. It seemed like, in fact, I think their attendance was up about 30% or something like that. So it seems oh, like wow. there's a increased interest in, uh, in uh, open source software and it seems to be hiring open source developers as well. Were, were there people hiring up there? Um, I wasn't really paying attention to anybody that was hiring because I have a job and I like it. <laughs> but um, it seemed like there were a lot of companies being represented there. I mean, a lot of open source projects. Right. Good. Great. Well, I, I love the I love the community. I hope that that uh, uh, that the shows keep going, um, even though you know we're seeing some uh, a little bit of tendency to to kind of build um, net applications and things like that. Open source is always important for driving those net applications as well. So I, I hope that uh, open source conventions keep going because they're a lot of fun and it gives people a chance to meet face to face, which is. Um, you know, not always, uh, not always the case in this virtual world that we live in. So, yeah, so that's great. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to talk about a really cool project called BuildBot, and in a minute we're going to bring on uh, Dustin Mitchell, who is the the lead maintainer of that project. Um, but before we do, we are going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite uh, uh, net-driven applications, Netflix. So this uh, episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Netflix delivers movies directly to your home, and that saves time, money, and hassle. You can instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed directly to your PC or Mac uh, or delivered to your TV via Netflix-ready device, including Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii, which is how I use Netflix quite often, or on my Blu-ray player. Plus, you can get DVDs by mail 
in about a day. So you can watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want. There's never any late fees or any dues. And that's why I switched to Netflix actually was because I was getting late fees all the time. And I was actually spending, you know, on a $5 uh, rental back at, back in the day at, at either one of the, one of the uh, rental places. I was actually paying like $25 every time I rented a movie uh, just because I would never remember to take it back. I've got a horrible memory. So you can actually uh, have one movie available to watch instantly from Netflix this week. And my pick for this week is uh, Mission Impossible. So it's one of the CBS shows that recently came over to Netflix and you can watch Mission Impossible instantly. Uh, my wife and I sat up and watched uh, some of the very first uh, uh, episodes of uh, Mission Impossible and um, uh, actually Agent Phelps or, or whatever his name was, the, the guy who you normally think of on Mission Impossible wasn't there um, in the very first uh, season. I didn't even know that. Um, and so we're watching. It's like, where is where is he? Where is he? And he's like not there. Uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. So uh, definitely go check out Mission Impossible um, or any of the movies on Netflix. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is that you can go to Netflix today um, and choose from thousands of TVs or other movies. Uh, I hear Star Trek is coming soon. The original series is coming soon. Uh, so when you register for a free trial membership, you can check all that out. And you want to go to Netflix.com slash twit to do that. Sign up for your free trial at Netflix.com slash twit. And we thank them for their support of Twit and Floss Weekly. And now, to bring on our guests. Let's do that right now. All right, so Dustin, are you there? I am. All right, well, welcome to Floss Weekly. Where are you based out of, Dustin? I'm in Chicago. Okay, great. So, uh, the Windy City, how's the weather up there? Uh, I haven't been outside yet today, so it's looking pretty <laughs> good, though. <laughs> good, good. Well, hopefully it's warming up for you, at least... Uh, uh -huh. Uh, more more warm than it usually is in the winter time. That's for sure. So, tell us a little bit about Buildbot. How did Buildbot get started? What are the roots of Buildbot? Well, Buildbot's actually um, pretty old now. It's eleven years old, but um, it's it was started quite a while ago by a man named Brian Warner. Um, basically, because he was tired of doing a CVS up in the morning when he was programming and. Um, finding out that the stuff he was working on had conflicted with stuff that other developers had committed and sort of spending the morning figuring out how to put those things together and then only being able to do his work in the afternoon. Um, so this it's a system to basically do those tests when things get checked in so that you can find out about conf conflicts earlier and you can find out about failed tests earlier and um, other build problems. Okay, so... And it's sort of evolved from there. Yeah, so this is something where you can actually run those tests... Uh, do the compiling, run those tests like at night or something when you're sleeping, come in in the morning and it's all done, and then you can just say, okay, what worked, what didn't. Exactly. Okay, very cool. And when did you take over, uh, when did you come into the working on the project? I took over in around 2008. Um, Brian was sort of moving off onto other things, and um, I was using it at Zamanda at the time um, and had a lot of things that I wanted to do with it, and it just kind of became a natural fit for me to take over maintainership eventually. Um, okay. And Zamanda, of course, is the open source uh, backup That's software. Right. Um, and how long did you work at Zamanda or work on Zamanda? Are you still working on it? I was there for uh, about three and a half years. I do not work at Zamanda anymore, but I'm still an Amanda developer, although I very rarely get a chance to do much of anything there. Um, okay. All right. I do some reviews and things like that for them. Yeah, sure, sure. So, okay, so we've got this system to, to, to build. How does this actually work? How does... Uh, how did developers actually get their stuff into BuildBot? Tell us about how BuildBot works uh, you know, in, in technical terms. 
So you mentioned that um, one option is to have things build every night, um, and that was, was a more popular option earlier and on smaller projects, um, where basically BuildBot would, would just um, run an internal cron job and at midnight or at 3 a.m. Um, fire off a bunch of builds. But the more common solution these days is to actually build on every commit. Um, so basically the, the process is the developer commits their, their code to the regular version control repository. And uh, BuildBot has something called a change source that either watches that repository or gets notified by that repository and hands off, hands off the, the commit to a scheduler. And that scheduler decides, based on arbitrary criteria, um, what kinds of builds to do. So maybe if only a certain test suite had changed, it would only run that test suite. Um, Though the scheduler then triggers a whole bunch of builds that can happen on different slave machines. So um, it's a distributed system. And then the results of those builds are passed back to the developer through um, various kinds of status. So there's a web status, there's IRC, you can get pinged in IRC if your build fails. Um, there's email status, so we can email the developer or the whole team to say so-and-so broke the build uh, and lots of other status plugins there. Okay. So that's basically the process. Okay. So um, it just occurs to me that maybe we should step back a little bit because I want to make sure that folks that are new to open source software understand what we're talking about. So sure. why do we even need this software? What, what is it that requires us? What, what is a, maybe we should just step back and talk about what is a build um, mm -hmm. and how software is created. Maybe you could go over that just at a real high level just to make sure that everybody is, is fully on board here. Sure, I think that's a good idea. Um, so when we're, when we're building software, especially in a team of people, um, you have a central place that all of the, the source code for that software is stored. So basically what you're all working on. Um, and different people make changes to that. And it's, it's called a commit when you make a change to this sort of central shared repository. Um, early, earlier kinds of software development, people would, were responsible for making sure that their commit didn't break things. Um, so you want to make sure that whatever software is in this repository works all the time. Because if it doesn't, then someone's going to try and use it and run into problems, or another developer is going to think that they've caused a problem when, in fact, you added the bug. Right. So you've got uh, multiple people uh, right. working on a piece of software. Let's, let's, it doesn't really matter what it is. Let's call it a word processor. So you've mm -hmm. got multiple people working on this software like a word processor, and each one is working on a different part. Um, and so they're all contributing little bits and components um, into this software over time. And the most important thing, of course, as you're doing that is to make sure you don't break things. Right. So continuous integration software in general was introduced for the purpose of um, making sure that the code in the source code repository works. And um, as teams have gotten larger who are building the software and as the software has gotten more complicated, um, it's gone from being a nice thing for really reliable software to almost a necessity for open source software at this point and certainly commercial software. Um, it's very rare to see software that doesn't have tests um, to make sure that it's working right and that doesn't have some way of running those tests frequently so the developers find out when they've broken them. All right. Um, so that's, that's the niche that BuildBot fits into. And there's a couple other open source and commercial projects that fit into that niche as well. Okay. And, and what are some of those, just in case people are familiar with some of the alternatives? Um, Jenkins is the main other open source one. It used to be called Hudson. Um, and Jenkins is a little bit different than BuildBot, but they're, they're in the same genre. Um, and there's a few commercial offerings, and uh, CMake is another open source one that I don't hear much about, but is used for a number of projects. Mm -hmm. 
And how does this work with repositories? Like a lot of people are using GitHub these days, but there's, there's other repositories as well. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, how does this fit in? How does it work with the repositories that people are using? So this is, it's one of the strengths of, of BuildBot actually, is that it probably supports more version control systems than you can think of off the top of your head. Um, so GitHub, we have a really good integration with, um, with Git and with GitHub. So GitHub can send notifications of commits directly to BuildBot and it can build them immediately. Um, whereas with Subversion, in many cases, um, you need to actually pull the Subversion repository. So it might be five or 10 minutes before BuildBot notices you've made a change and decides to build it. Um, but GitHub, we have good integration with. We have Subversion, CVS, um, Monotone, Bazaar, Arch, Darks, all sorts of obscure um, version control systems and not so obscure. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. So tell me a little bit about the options here. It sounds like it's highly configurable. I mean, what options do people typically use um, in their environments when they're using BuildBot to make sure things run okay? It sounds like you can set policies and things like that, maybe? Yeah, well, we don't approach it as policies, but it is highly configurable. Um, I, I like to think of, and I credit Jacob Kaplan-Moss for this way of saying it, but I, I like to think of BuildBot as a framework for doing continuous integration. So your configuration is actually a Python program. And um, you can start out very simply with that, but you can get arbitrarily complex in how you set up um, what kinds of builds you want to do, what kinds of, of repositories you want to monitor, um, how you want to react to different changes. So I mentioned earlier, um, you can configure your schedulers to look at exactly what has changed and say, for example, oh, this, this is only a change to the documentation. So I'll rebuild the documentation on the website, but I won't run the tests because none of the code has changed. So I know those will still pass. Um, so that's, that's one of the more detailed configurations people can add. Um, when you start doing a lot of work on portability and a lot of work on um, making sure that your, your software runs on different systems, you end up with a lot of build slaves. So a lot of machines doing your builds. And uh, at that point, you want to start to think about how to scale things so that um, you can have multiple, you can, you can allow a slave to fail and still be able to get good results. So you might have multiple slaves that can do a particular kind of build. Um, and you also want to be able to do multiple builds at the same time. If you have a big team and your builds take a long time, you can have people committing code more quickly than one machine would be able to build it. Uh, certainly the case at Mozilla. Right. So I want to ask about that a little bit more. Don't let me forget. But I also want to ask before we get there is, can you handle, can BuildBot handle multiple software projects at the same time? Is it, you, you, you just, do you need more than one instance of BuildBot or can one instance of BuildBot handle, you know, 30 different software projects that are going on? Um, that's a recent development is that it can do what you just asked. Um, so a lot, of a lot of times when people ask this, they actually mean something more complicated. But I'll, I'll go with the, the simple case you described. If you have multiple independent projects, then yes, BuildBot can monitor all of their repositories or if they're all in one repository, monitor that and say, oh, okay, I've seen a change to this app, so I'll build that app. I saw an app to this, this other app, a change to this other app, so I'll go and build that. Uh, that works great right now. You only need one build master for that. It can share slaves as long as they can all build all of the, um, the projects. But folks very quickly go from wanting to do that to saying, well, okay, one of my projects is a library that this other project needs. And that gets a little complicated because now you're trying to, you're trying to build um, software that's composed of two different versions of things. 
So when I make a change to the library, do I want to build the latest version of the application against that library, or do I want to build um, a particular version, earlier version of the application that was built for that version of the library? Um, and once, once you make a change to the library and make a change to the application, you need to make sure that the compatible versions get together. So that's an unsolved problem in BuildBot. But the earlier just being able to build multiple projects um, is a solved problem. And in fact, um, KDE is using BuildBot for that purpose. Oh, okay. Yeah, so obviously KDE, something like KDE, a Windows um, desktop environment, I mean, they're obviously uh, uh, have a lot of little projects and little software applications that, that, that happen all over the place. So if they're using it for multiple applications, then I think that's a good, <laughs> a good use case or a good example of, of how BuildBot yep. can work with that kind of environment. So let's go back to talking about this um, uh, master-slave uh, multiple compilers type of scenario. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, since I do a lot of video work, I'm thinking of a render farm where I've got this you know, video that I want to want to compile or transcode or render, however you want to say it. I want to render this, this particular video. And in, in, in my world, I can send that to a render farm. So 10, 20 machines that all work on a little bit of that particular uh, uh, video that I'm working on. Is that a, a, a similar to what you're talking about when you have a build farm? Yes, it's quite similar. Um, so one of the things that's different about it is that in the BuildBot case, you would probably have each machine doing um, doing a different kind of work. So they're not they're not necessarily splitting up the job and each doing an arbitrary part of it. You know, your Windows machine is building the Windows package, and your Mac is building the Mac package, and your Linux machine is building the Linux package. Um, there are a lot of cases where folks have had something that's more similar to your video example, where a team has such a huge number of tests that they take hours to run uh, on a single machine. But most of those tests are independent of one another. So they will shard the tests across multiple, um, multiple machines. So they may have 30 different machines that can run these tests. And instead of running the, the entire test suite on one of them, they run um, one thirtieth of the tests on each of those machines and get them done thirty times faster. So that's that's a bit of an advanced configuration with BuildBot, but I know a number of people who have done that um, with great success. In fact, Mozilla does it. Right. Now uh, you mentioned Python. You mentioned that BuildBot is written in Python. Why Python? I mean, is there anything in particular about the type of Python you're you're using? Is there? I mean, why not Perl or C? Why why <laughs> Python in particular? Um. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm not the originator of BuildBot, so I didn't make the original choice to write it in Python. Brian Warner did. Um, but I'm, I very much enjoy programming in Python. I think it's a nice, flexible language. Um, I also did a lot of Perl with Amanda, so part of Amanda is rewritten in Perl now. Um, so I'm familiar with both of those languages. And the thing that really makes this possible in Python is Twisted Python. Um, so Twisted we, Python? Twisted Python. Is that Python that's really funky or something? Um, <laughs> if, I, if I say yes to that, I'll get in trouble. So, no. <laughs> uh, Twisted Python is an event-based library. If, from the Perl world, it's similar to Poe, but really only has a superficial um, similarity. So it allows us to do lots of different things in a single thread. Um, most of what BuildBot does is waiting for log results or something like that from a slave or waiting for a change to happen. There's lots of events coming into BuildBot. It thinks about them and then it causes other things to happen. Uh, and that's a perfect use for an event-based framework. And uh, Twisted, gives us, Twisted gives us that event-based framework that we need. It also has uh, libraries for just about every protocol you can think of. So 
Um, it has a, a web server built in. It speaks IRC, which is how we do the IRC notifier. It has SMTP libraries, so you can do the mail notifiers. Uh, and it has a really nice remote procedure control library called Perspective Broker uh, that we use to communicate with the slaves. So it's, it both provides a, a good application framework um, to structure the execution of the whole process and also gives us a lot of really fancy tools for free. Um, so I really enjoy programming in Twisted. It's it's bends some people's minds when they get used to it, but um, once you get started, it's a great language. So I was going to ask a couple questions about community now. Um, sure. One of the questions I have is, you mentioned you work for Mozilla. So do they sponsor your work for BuildBot? I mean, are they actively contributing and developing BuildBot, or is this just kind of something you do on the side? Um, that's a little bit a little bit complicated, but. Um, Part of my work at Mozilla is to work on BuildBot. So in that sense, yes, they do sponsor it. Um, and Mozilla has been very, very willing to provide any resources that BuildBot needs. We've had a few um, summits at Mozilla headquarters, one of them before I was hired and one of them after. So um, Mozilla is trying to, to not own this project, um, but still sponsor it. And we certainly use it very heavily at Mozilla. Um, so most of what I do is is my own decisions. I'm not necessarily taking taking direction from anyone at Mozilla on BuildBot's future, um, but they're very supportive of of my work and of the time I can spend on BuildBot. It's great to see them supporting it like that. Um, yeah. Is anybody else currently contributing to BuildBot? I mean, how big is the project? The project is actually quite large. Um, when we moved from Darks, if you can believe it, to Git um, and put the project on GitHub, we actually saw sort of an avalanche of small and large patches from folks who are using BuildBot. Um, because it's a framework, people tend to not people people tend to make that the, the transition from BuildBot user to BuildBot programmer without realizing they're doing it, right? They're configuring, they're writing their configuration, and there's a couple functions in it, suddenly there's a class in it, and suddenly they're customizing BuildBot. And that turns out to be something they can um, send to me as a patch, and we'll put it into BuildBot. So we have a lot of people contributing at that level, um, where they've either found a particular step or some other class that's useful to them and is useful to other people. Um, but we have a few developers, um, some folks at Google, some folks at, at Yelp, actually, um, who are also contributing and doing some maintainership, so looking at the, the broader picture instead of just contributing um, new functionality to it. So how is the development community currently structured? Well, um, I'm, the, I'm the maintainer, but um, don't actually end up having a lot of time to do, to do um, coding on it. Um, so I try, and, I try and rule by rough consensus and working code, which means basically if you have, if you have a patch and it works, and it also meets with the general design principles of BuildBot and, um, and sort of fits with what users would expect from BuildBot, then I'm happy to have it. Um, so I don't, I'm not in a position to be asking people to do particular projects on BuildBot. And that has, it has advantages in terms of people it being very easy for people to contribute because they can scratch their own itches. Um, but it has a disadvantage in that BuildBot sort of becomes an agglomeration of things that someone found useful once. And other people hopefully also find them useful, but um, we miss some of the, the smoothing over that would go on if we were designing this as a, as a team where, where people were sort of taking instruction. So I see my role as kind of trying to push these contributions into fitting particular consistent models that users can come to rely on, and also doing the coding that 
that brings those things together. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work recently on making sure that our database API is consistent um, and you know doesn't violate the, least, the principle of least surprise for developers. So you mentioned that just now the database API. What other kind of projects are currently being worked on? Um, that's the big one right now. We're also looking at um, actually splitting out the web front end for this. So if I can get a little technical for a minute. Um, because Twisted runs in a single thread, um, if you do something that takes a long time in that thread, you block anything else from happening. So slaves can't contribute their results back to the master. Changes can't be noticed. And um, a lot of our web front end, the rendering those pages takes a long time because there's a lot of data that goes into them. Um, some of them show dozens or hundreds of builds in the same page. So what's happened is that when people access the web front end, it can actually make your master stall out or, or at least perform badly. So we want to take that, that rendering work and move it to the browser. Um, and maybe this is something working at Firefox or working at Mozilla on Firefox that seems like a great idea to me. Um, but the browser should be requesting specific information about each of those builds and then building the page locally to the user who's viewing it. So that's basically rewriting our web front end in JavaScript. Um, the advantage on the back end is each of the single AJAX requests from the browser to say, give me information on build one, that can be serviced very quickly. And then the master can go on to do other things before the web browser says, okay, give me information on build two. So that, that's a major change that we're still contemplating. That hasn't really been begun yet, uh, but that's in progress. Or that, that's in planning, I should say. So what is the whole thing driven from that web front end then? Do you, can you do all the settings or do you have to drop down to the command line from time to time? Um, so this is actually a big difference with Jenkins. Um, Jenkins is entirely web configurable and BuildBot is not at all web configurable. Um, <laughs> that is a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and that was a conscious design choice. Um, as I have a systems administration background and once you start running a large enough BuildBot system, you realize it is a system that needs to be administrated. And you want to be able to do that through text. And you want to be able to version control your configurations. Um, you want to be able to, to look for changes and, and you know, do git bisect and things like that to figure out where did, where did you break the way this particular build works. And if you're doing configuration through a web front end, um, you don't have that kind of control. You lose a lot of, of the change control capabilities. Um, the other reason to do that in BuildBot is that, as I said before, it's a framework. And these configurations are essentially programs. So there's only so much sophistication that you can put into a configuration by pointing and clicking at it. Um, most of the large configurations of BuildBot that I know of actually programmatically generate their, um, their configuration. So their, their configuration has functions in it. It has loops in it. Um, it has conditionals that are, are determining how a particular slave can behave, how a particular branch should be built. And um, that sort of automation you can't do through a web front end. So trying to support both would be difficult. So the option that we've come up with is just to, to require that all the configuration be in these, these text files, these Python programs. Um, and that precludes web configuration. Mm. Well, that's a little different from your work in Amanda, right? Doesn't, or at least Zamanda, doesn't Zamanda offer both web um, and uh, uh, command line uh, configuration? Yes, but at Samanda, I only worked on Amanda. Um, that, so my focus was not on the web front end. Ah, and that, that's probably where I learned just how difficult this would be if we tried to support both. Um, that's, that's a very challenging part of the Samanda 
um, web front end is to try and not only be able to build configurations based on on what the user has put in for their configuration through the web front end. And in, in, in a sense, there, Zamanda's has an advantage in that most backup configurations are fairly straightforward and fairly similar. So you can get you know, 80 or 90% of your users can do what they need with just a web front end. But getting that back into the configuration files and then also allowing users to modify those configuration files so that the web front end and the user's text editor are kind of cooperating on these files. Um, Zamanda's web front end supports that, and it's it's very difficult to make that happen. So yeah, yeah. I, I have props for the folks who did that at Zamanda. <laughs> um, let me ask you this: um, in terms of the uh, the actual infrastructure, what what kind of infrastructure am I going to be required to to set up in order to make this? Do I need a dedicated server? Do I need lots of memory, lots of disk, or um, you know, what are the what are the important things to consider when actually setting this up physically in in someone's uh, uh, data center or or back room or wherever they they want to set this up to do their <laughs> their work? So it really depends on the size of the project. Most folks who start with BuildBot, um, they do it on a dedicated machine with virtualization and, and machines so common now. It's hard to do anything not on a dedicated machine, um, but they'll usually run the slave on the same machine as the master. Um, so that's a common sort of starting condition where they want to do they want to get BuildBot running and have it build and run the tests on every commit just on that one machine, just in one place. Um, and for some projects, smaller Python or Perl projects, that's probably sufficient. Uh, you don't have a lot of platform specificity, so you don't need multiple uh, Windows and Mac slaves for a, a Perl framework. Um, the master tends to take up a lot of memory, especially on 64-bit systems. That's Due to, due to some inefficiencies in BuildBot, but also um, Python uses a lot of memory, and Twisted is a very large and significant framework and uses a lot of memory. So uh, I think if I were telling people how to spec out a machine for a master, get a lot of RAM. Mm -hmm. uh, we end up, I think we're using two and a half or three gigabytes for some of our masters at Mozilla of RAM. Um, and those are very busy masters and doing you know hundreds yeah. of builds an hour, but that's still a pretty big chunk of RAM. Right, but that's not too bad. I mean, there, you no. know, there's servers out there that run 64, 128 gigs of, of, of memory, um, but you're saying um, definitely, so, so it sounds like you always have to have two servers, uh, number one. You always have to have at least a master and a slave. Those could be running on the same physical hardware if you're using virtualization, and the important thing is to dedicate a lot of memory, at least up front, to the, to the master. Mm -hmm. Well, to be clear, the, the master and slave can run on actually the same operating system, the same instance. Oh, they, so they don't have to be virtualized or, or separated no, in any not way? not necessarily. Okay. Um, usually, you'll, you'll very quickly want to go to that point. Once you want um, you know, a second slave or, or more, more parallelism, or you start to run into CPU issues between the master running while GCC is running, um, you very quickly want to have multiple slaves. Right. So the slave requirements are actually pretty minimal. Um, you do need Python. You do need uh, Twisted on that machine. But that's about it. So we, we've actually seen BuildBot running on, um, on phones in some cases. Um, wow. And yeah, <laughs> I would like to, I haven't quite found anyone who wants to do this enough to follow through with it, but I would like to see a version of BuildBot, the BuildBot slave that isn't in Python and doesn't require Twisted um, so that we could run it on more phones, so that we could run it on embedded systems. There's certainly a lot of folks building gadgets who gadgets that don't necessarily have an operating system Python on them, um, who would love to be able to test those, that equipment and the software that runs on it. And being able to do that um, 
with a simple C daemon would be ideal. Okay. So I was just going to say it sounds like maybe Java, but you're saying C would be actually better? For the uh, for the mobile part, I mean, it seems like a lot of phones run, uh, you know, Java code for for everything. I was just wondering if uh, if if you'd rather see someone build this in Java or C. Um, I would, uh, uh, going back to the way I manage the project, I would want to see someone build this in whatever language works best for them. <laughs> there you go. Um, right the answer. Thing, the, ding 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 ding. The, <laughs> <laughs> the vision I would put into that is to say let's let's not make this a Java specific protocol any more than we've made it a Python-specific protocol right now. So Perspective Broker, the protocol we use, is specific to Twisted Python, and you really can't implement it outside of Python. Um, so I would, I would make sure the next time we implement this protocol, let's implement it as you know, an RFC-able protocol, basically, that we can then implement in Java and in Python and in C and um, have that flexibility between masters and slaves going forward. So if the first implementation is in Java, I'm perfectly happy with that. Or if it's in C or C++, that's not the important question the protocol is. Right, right. Okay, so let's bring it back up a level again just to make sure we're all on the same page. So, so BuildBot does uh, build, test, and version control, right? Um, and the output of all that at the end of the day is going, to be, is going to be what? It's going to be a C file? I mean, you're not doing packaging, right? You're not packaging for, for systems, or does BuildBot do that too? It can. So I guess we should look at how you configure what BuildBot does. Um, when, you, when you configure what a build looks like, you're basically giving it a series of shell commands to run. You can do some other interesting stuff with properties that work like environment variables, but basically you're saying, you know, if it's a C or C++ application, your first step may be dot slash configure, and your second step may be make, and your third may be make check. Make check. Um, so that would do a build and a test in the same place. Uh, if you're building a Python application, your step may be just nose tests to run all the tests. Um, there are certainly a lot of folks, um, Mozilla and Zamanda included, who are also doing packaging here. Um, often that's through a make file. You have a make package target or something like that. But you can certainly run a, uh, an arbitrary shell script or um, an installer if you're an installer builder if you're on um, Windows or Mac to do the packaging. So that's really up to whoever's using BuildBot. And, um, for the most part, people are doing build and test on it, but there's there's a lot of packaging going on as well. Okay. Um, so I've got another question for you. Um, we talked a little bit about Jenkins, and actually Jenkins is is coming up on a on a, on a episode of Floss Weekly in the future. So uh, now's oh, now's your chance to kind of kind of differentiate yourself a little bit, and then well, hopefully when Jenkins comes on, when Randall's back in, he'll he'll try to compare back and forth. So that'll give a good. Uh, comparison okay. and contrast the audience, but how do you compare? We already mentioned one thing, which is the the front end um, of Jenkins, which is which is web uh, primarily, right? So, how else does this compare to Jenkins? Well, I, I want to start by saying I don't necessarily consider Jenkins um, a competitor, and it's, this is open source, so we need a good ecosystem, and that means at least at least two, if not more, projects. Um, so it's great that Jenkins is out there, and certainly there are projects that are better suited to Jenkins. Um, than BuildBot and vice versa. Um, I mentioned very early on one of the, the big differences is that, is that Jenkins is, in my mind, is an application designed to do continuous integration, whereas BuildBot is more of a framework. Um, so I think if you want, if you have a uh, big plans for your continuous integration system and you want to be able to make it work exactly the way you need, 
sharding tests, being able to do builds and releases on the same systems that you do your tests on, um, I think BuildBot is a better choice because with enough effort, you're going to be able to make, to make BuildBot do exactly what you want it to do. Um, whereas Jenkins is very straightforward to set up. Um, it's very straightforward to adjust configurations when you need to tweak the way a particular build or test gets run. That's, that's a very straightforward operation there. Um, BuildBot also has more of a batteries included approach, which is a, um, a Python term. You know, Python ships with this great standard library that has all kinds of functionality in it. And we try to do that with BuildBot as well. So it has support for this wide range of version control systems, uh, support for lots of different kinds of tests and, and build operations. So it has built-in support for autoconf-based projects. It has built-in support for Python projects. It has built-in support for um, Perl test runners. Those are, those are there out of the box, whereas Jenkins takes a plugins approach. Um, so there's a big, a big bunch of plugins that you can download and plug into Jenkins. Um, so those those approaches have both have their pluses and minuses. It's a little bit harder to get things into BuildBot if there's sort of an obscure use, whereas you could easily put them up as a plugin on a website. Um, but when things are merged into BuildBot proper, they get maintained there. So you never have to worry, does the, the Darks plugin still work in this version of BuildBot? Well, we shipped it, so hopefully it does work. Um, Jenkins is also fairly specialized to Java. Um, from, what I, from what I've seen, it, it, most of its tools are oriented around um, building and testing Java software. And it certainly can do other things, but they're sort of second-class citizens. Um, and that's just my impression from, from a basic use of, of Jenkins. So I can, I'm willing to be uh, told I'm wrong in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but basically, you're saying that, that you, you don't necessarily prefer one language development over, over another one. Okay. All right. Um, so I know you came into this, um, you know, kind of late, uh, uh, not late, but you weren't the original developer creator. So what kind of things, we talked about a couple of these, but I mean, what kind of things would you change? If you could go back in time and start all over again, you know, what would you change um, about the way that it was developed? Would it just be the fact that it would be written in, an, in another language or? Uh, it's, I'd stick with Python, actually. Okay. Um, so when I started becoming the maintainer, um, there were a lot of frustrations I had based on, on how things were working at Zamanda. And um, BuildBot was at 077 then or 078. And so I had this, this sort of shimmering vision of what 1.0 should look like. And um, did a lot of sort of collaborative planning with other folks in the community to say, you know, if, if we can break compatibility, if we can sort of expect to have arbitrary amounts of time to code this, what do we want BuildBot 1.0 to look like? Um, having gone through that and then become the maintainer, we're really not much closer to that than we ever were, and things have developed in a different direction. Um, but I found that to be a good exercise to think about um, what's important and what's not important in the future of BuildBot. So one of the things that was in that shimmering vision was a better tracking of source control. Um, BuildBot sort of grew up around CVS and the other version control systems were added later. So it, it doesn't do a very good job of figuring out um, ordering of commits. It doesn't, it doesn't look at a revision as anything other than a string. So even with Subversion, it has a hard time telling which commits go in which order. And certainly with Git or Mercurial, where um, 
versions or revisions are just SHA-1 identifiers, um, it doesn't keep any track of which revision is a parent to which other revision. So it would be great to see BuildBot able to look at those parent relationships and um, do things like bisect operations. So if a test fails on, on a certain revision and it didn't test a couple intervening revisions and tested an older revision, go back and test those intervening revisions to see exactly where did that test start failing. Um, especially, that's especially important when you push a merge commit. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail about version control, but developers can now push a whole bunch of changes all sort of rolled up into one. And if that, if that roll-up fails in a test, it'd be great to have BuildBot go into all the individual components of that and say, well, okay, it, it worked here, it worked here, it didn't work here, it didn't work here, so that's the one that broke it. Um, that would require BuildBot really learning a lot more about how the source code works, but I think that would be a great improvement to it. Um, but probably the big um, gorilla in the room for doing it differently would be to start using a database right off. Um, so right now, BuildBot, as of a few versions ago, BuildBot stored all of its data in pickles, which are a Python persistence um, mechanism. So just flat files with binary data in them. And uh, right now, half of the data is stored in the database, and the other half is still stored in pickles. Um, really? Which is a really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird. So, how do you how do you choose? Like, uh, I'm going to throw this part of this information into the database, and this one's going to go in a flat file. So the um, the background to that is that Mozilla needed to have multiple masters all running, all doing the same work. So they needed some way for those for the masters to communicate amongst themselves as to sort of who, who can do this particular job, who has a spare slave and spare capacity to do this kind of job. So the things that got put into the, into the database were the things that needed to be shared between masters. And basically that's, um, if you remember back to the, the commit process I talked about going through change sources and schedulers, um, it's everything from version control to schedulers is in the, is in the database right now. Um, so you can run schedulers on one system and have them create what's called build requests that are requests to do a particular build and drop those in the database and then another master can come along and see that build request and say, ah, I have a slave that can do that. I'll claim it. I'll go make sure that build happens and then put the results into pickles. Mm. So the one of the major projects we need to work on is to finish that. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get 084 out in the state it's at right now and then... Um, before, uh, before 090, we'll have the rest of it in the database. But it certainly would have been nicer to have done that at the beginning. Right. Well, I'm sure that would have, it would have uh, um, caused a lot less headaches that way. Yes. So, okay. The, the other thing we've discovered is um, actually BuildBot has a message queuing structure. Uh -huh. So um, if, you, if you think of, if you think of the, what the change sources are doing, they're saying, okay, I, I see a message from version control that says the code has changed. Well, I'll send a message to all these schedulers who want to know that the code has changed. The schedulers react to that somehow, and they send another message to the builders to say, hey, I need you to do this build. So that particular problem isn't a database problem. It's a message queuing problem. Um, and especially when you want to have multiple schedulers and you want to have them redundant with one another so that one can fail and you continue operating, and the same with the builders, um, then you're really looking at using RabbitMQ or ZeroMQ or, or a project like that that can keep messages persistently and make sure they're delivered. So I think were I to do it over, not only would I make sure everything's in a database, but I would also be using um, message queuing semantics to make sure that, that things don't get dropped and, and um, information doesn't get lost as it's transited from one system to another. Right. 
Of course. I can see all the, the software um, engineers out there nodding their heads going, yep, yep, that's right, right on, yep, that's right. And I'm sitting there going, huh? What? What did he just say? <laughs> okay, sure. That sounds great. <laughs> it's, it's something I've only recently learned about. I didn't know anything about message queuing six months ago. Um, but there's sort of two ways to look at solving a problem, whether you stick data in a database and then poll that database. So you look in the database repeatedly to say, hey, do you have any work for me? No? Okay. I'll come back in 10 seconds. Um, that's one option for sort of making multiple systems coordinate with one another. And the other is to actually send, send messages. Um, you know, they're basically text messages or emails kind of. Right. Pushing the, it the out to the server. model for that, right. Yeah. So the schedulers would send a message to the builders to say, hey, this build needs to get done. Um, and then the data that we want to persist would go into the database. So databases are for persistent data. Messages are for timely information. Right, right. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for that explanation. Um, okay, I've got a couple quick questions for you before we wrap up. We're almost out of time. Uh, first one is, what language um, are you using for BuildBot? Or what license, rather? Sorry, we already talked about language. <laughs> what license are you using for BuildBot? It is uh, GPL v2 right now. Okay, and any plans to go to v3 or not Not really? We won't go to v3. Um, the, there are some users who would have a problem continuing to use BuildBot if we did that, and I'm sympathetic to those needs. Okay, okay, that's good enough. Just curious. And then, uh, of course, the last question I have to ask, or else Randall will beat me up next time he sees me. Uh, uh, VI or Emacs? Vim. Ah, nice. I like that. I have, I have a nice new vertically oriented monitor over here, <laughs> and I can fit four, you know, enough text into four different files with Vim splits. It's... I wouldn't do it any other way. Yeah, yep. I'm a Vim guy myself, so I quite understand um, the need to uh, to have that vertical space. Very, very nice. All right, so I think that's about wraps it up for us. Randy, do you have any other questions for Dustin before we let him go? Nope, I'm good. All right, well, Dustin Mitchell, where can folks go to find more uh, about uh, BuildBot? So the, uh, the main website is buildbot.net, and you can also find me in Pound Buildbot. Although the the name on the bottom of the screen here is uh, actually misspelled. It should be oh. Dijmitja with an E at the end. But you can find me in Pound Billbot. Okay. That's quite an active channel. Okay, good. Good enough. Well, thank you very much for joining us today and for sharing information about Billbot. Hopefully this will encourage people to go out there and try to set something like this up because doing this by hand, of course, is a nightmare. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, that's it. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, so that was BuildBot. If you are a software developer or working on, uh, you know, in a small company, maybe getting larger and trying to uh, trying to economize and make things simpler, it sounds like BuildBot might be for you. Randy, what do you think about BuildBot? Well, I think it's a really cool sounding project. I know uh, back when I was working in the Bay Area, I saw so many job postings where people wanted BuildBot experience. So clearly, it's getting pretty big and it's catching on. Yeah, absolutely, and it sounds like. Um, uh, you know, this is something where that is fairly simple to implement, although there is a lot of options. Sounds like there's a lot of options and things you have to consider when you're setting up your system. But I think that's a good thing. You know, the fact that you can configure this in multiple ways to support exactly what you want to do and um, and obviously save yourselves a lot of time in the process. I think that's always a, a good thing for developers. So good. So that's it for this week. Let's take a look at uh, what's coming up on Floss Weekly in the future. Let me pull up the schedule here. Um, I should mention, uh, by the way, that this is uh, Star Wars Day. So I, I need to say May the 4th be with you to all of our listeners. Uh, if you're listening on the live stream or, uh, or otherwise, May the 4th be with you. 
uh, very important day in, in geek um, lore. Um, there's al it's also a um, uh, say no to DRM or day against DRM. Also, if you're a if you're an SFF uh, uh, follower, if you like what the uh, Free Software Foundation does, there's a campaign that's running today. Um, it is May the fourth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so this is the day against DRM. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Maybe listen, not listen to to things on on uh, with, with DRM in them. I'm not sure exactly, but go to uh, Defective by Design. You can check that out. So coming up uh, very shortly on Floss Weekly, we have Matthew Flat talking about Racket. Uh, it's currently scheduled to come up in uh, a few weeks, um, and we also have. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but there's a, someone coming on. I'll, I know I'll mess it up to talk about uh, Jenkins, which is uh, another um, uh, build system. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, coming up uh, the middle of June sometime, we'll have uh, someone on to talk about Jenkins. So uh, be sure if you, if you like this kind of stuff, be sure to tune in for that as well. And also Curtis Jewell coming on to talk about Strawberry Pearl. Hmm, Strawberry Pearl. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but it sounds delicious. So uh, be sure to come back and check that out. Now, if you want to find out more about me and what I'm doing, you can always go to AaronNewcomb.com. It's kind of a culmination of all my different sites, but you can also go to Twitter.com slash AaronNewcomb, uh, Facebook.com slash AaronNewcomb, and of course, go to my other uh, podcast site, which is thesourceshow.org. Randy, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Well, you can find me on Twitter as Girl, Facebook as RubySDGirl, or slash tilde Randy. Um, awesome. Incidentally, Strawberry Pearl is a Windows-based Pearl solution, and I'll be back for that show. Awesome. So come on back, and Randy will be talking about that. Sounds like she knows more about it than I do, so that's always a good thing. That's why she'll be the co-host of that show. So uh, definitely join us for that one. And until next time, I'm Aaron Newcomb, and thanks for watching Floss Weekly. Floss Weekly.